Hello, hello, and welcome to another wonderful Friday on Speaking for Him. I'm Dan Van Zalen, and here's your host, Andrew Gobinson. Hello, everyone. Uh, I am very grateful to be here with you today, and I want to talk to you today about something uh, that is very important, uh, and that is our identities in Christ. I kind of want to start a new series. Now, I know that a while back we did a series of podcasts about who is Jesus, and leading up to that series, we did a single episode called Who Am I? Because as I reflected on at that time, our who we identify as or who we are and understanding who we are and our place on this world is one of the most important things that we can deal with. And so as I was thinking about what to share next as far as series, I was thinking about maybe we should delve a little bit more in depth into who am I. So some of this information may sound like a little bit of overlap, but I just feel like it's such an important topic that it can't be visited enough. So we're going to get started on this discussion after we hear our quote of the day. Sin is the despairing refusal to find your deepest identity in your relationship and service to God. Timothy Keller. All right. Um, so I liked this quote because in today's day and age, especially we look to fame, um, you know, or even if it's not fame, we get prestige from what we do. Like often the, what's the first thing that people ask when you meet somebody new? What's your name? Well, <laughs> after that, it's usually what do you do for a living? And why is that? Because we, we figure that it's a major part of what some, who somebody is. And, and there's nothing wrong with it being a major part of them because we do spend a lot of hours at our jobs. Yep. But that's not how we're supposed to be defined as far as God is concerned. So. Although oh, God says, you know, work is good and work as oh, if you're working for me. So. Yeah, absolutely. God did um, create work. We were created to do work for him. So that is part of it. But over the next several weeks, and I say several because we, we always, we don't always do these um, episodes back to back to back. But over the next several weeks, I want to talk about certain aspects about, um, what I was created to do, and you can put your name here. What was I created for? Uh, what is my identity in Christ? So, um, I'm, I am going to read, uh, the, these five things. And as I read them, Dan will read the verses and we'll discuss them one by one as we go down. So, first of all, I was created by Christ. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John 1, three. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Genesis 2.7 I truly believe that if we understood, like if we really understood as a society that we are made by God, this whole... um life at conception or or whether we should be allowed to kill babies all the way up to birth, that whole conversation would be obsolete. Because the reality is that if someone was talking about aborting a puppy or killing a cat 
or something like that, people would be outraged. Animal cruelty. But for some reason, we talk about our own flesh and blood as if it's just a choice, as if it's just an appendage on somebody else's body until a certain time when it becomes human. And people all around the country disagree about when that is. (laughs) Now, scientifically, we can prove without the Bible that an unborn baby is human. Yep. Because it's not in the process of becoming anything else. Nope. It doesn't change to something else. Therefore, in all of its DNA and all of its the blueprints of who it's going to be exist at conception. Yep. But I think that if we would realize what it really means, and I think even we as Christians struggle with this, what does it really mean to be made by God? What does it really mean that God... You think about this, with all the other creation, with the trees, he said, let there be trees. With the animals, he said, let there be animals. But with mankind, it says he breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. Well, even then, just before that, it says that God shaped man from the dust of the ground. Yes. He actually, he didn't say anything. He actually physically made a man. Yes. Made Adam. That's, sculpted him. It's pretty amazing to think about it in those terms. It's the only thing that he physically Personally. reached down and made from his own hand. Yep. And and so that I I just feel like that is something. So we will spend one episode talking about in more detail what it means to be created by Christ. And then according to Christ, if I am in Christ, if I believe Christ, I am blameless. Yes. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the fl- in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unprovable in his sight. Colossians 1, 20 and 21. All right. And so in this case... Again, if we look at it seriously, we know that we are not without blame. However, if we have been redeemed, that's what being redeemed means. It means that our debt has been paid. It means that we couldn't climb to perfection ourselves. We couldn't become perfect just because we wanted it so bad. But (laughs) with God's help... Coming perfect, oh boy. We were able... To become perfection. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So when God looks at me through the sacrifice of Jesus, he sees a perfect individual. My family will tell you that I'm nowhere near perfect, but that's what God sees because he paid for my sins, past, present, and future, and he has secured my place in heaven because his son Jesus, uh, paid for my sins on the cross of Calvary. So basically when when the devil accuses me and says, well, God, look what he did, then God can just look at his son and look at the wounds on his hands and feet and say, this is paid for, and in his side. And say, this is paid for, it's done away with. He is a saint, he is a child of mine. And so I think that there is such comfort there. Because if we had to attain somehow to perfection, we had to attain somehow to heaven, we'd never get there. Oh, heck no. 
<laughs> so many people have tried to be perfect or delusionally thought that they were perfect and everybody around them can say, nope, that's not true. And, you know, it's interesting that, that what Jesus said about, um, the Pharisees striving for perfection, he said, you put loads on other people who are under your care that you yourself can't even handle. Yep. That's pretty, uh, significant. Well, yeah, and they had all those artificial rules to inflate that God gave them just to, so they could maybe try to avoid accidentally stepping over the line and just made everything a whole lot worse. I am chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may... App- Apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, 12. And here we have one of the most profound statements that Paul makes, which is that God, that Jesus apprehended Paul. And he, in Paul's case, he did it in a physical way because he met him in bodily form on the road to Damascus and says, said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus Christ, whom you persecute. Mm-hmm. And so he he had a personal encounter. And incidentally, that's why the, the motto of my ministry is speaking for him who spoke for me. Because I really feel like I can remember the time when God reached into my life and said, and, and said I am claiming you for my own. Please follow me and do what I ask. And I know that we have a, we, to a certain extent, we have a free will to do what we will because God doesn't want robots to serve him. But I believe that if you look in the pages of scripture, you'll find that free will and election, they complement each other and, and are woven alongside one another in a perfect tapestry that we ourselves can't fully comprehend, but is nonetheless True. Yeah, one of the greater quotes I have ever run across, um, and unfortunately I can't think of who it was that said it, but I'm pretty sure it was mentioned um, in the crew. Uh, I think it's the Crusaders series. Oh no, the Conqueror series. Sorry, but uh, it's a they mentioned God loves you so much that if you tell him no, he will leave. But he'll always be waiting for you. He that, loves you so much that he's willing to accede to your free will. That is something that is is hard for you know even parents who love their children unconditionally to do. You know. Yeah, and there's definitely a, a truth to that. But I've also like listened to um, things like Unshackled or a recent testimony that was at my church. This you know, last Sunday as we're recording this, and I mean, you probably won't hear it for a few weeks, but last Sunday as we're recording this, we went to church. It was Father's Day, and we had this guy named Lewis, um, uh, Lewis Dooley, I think is his name. And Lewis Dooley was a guy that ended up in jail numerous times, and then finally he got in prison because he attempted to kill someone uh-huh. and he had 
he had three life sentences plus a hundred years. Ouch. And you ask yourself, well, why is he speaking in my, in your church if he had, uh, you know, life in prison plus a hundred years, three times over? Well, the reason is because after 15 years, he got parole. Now, my understanding is he'll be on parole for the rest of his life, but he pointed out that the reason that he got, was able to get parole and not life without parole is that he was not successful in killing the man that he attempted to murder. Uh-huh. said, I shot him five times. I tried to kill him, but I was unsuccessful. And he pointed out that that was God protecting oh, sure. him and preparing him for the time that he would surrender to him. And incidentally, it was another prisoner that gave him a gospel tract and showed him the love of Christ. And uh, so... Well, that was God also protecting the guy he shot. Yeah. Well, absolutely. But just think about the fact that, you know, it was basically just a matter of inches Yeah, that separated him from life without parole to being able to get parole and, and have life on the outside. Yeah. There is, I've heard other people's testimonies where they mentioned that, you know, God might be willing to step back if you ask him to, but he's never going to stop chasing you, you know? He oh, does absolutely. not. He absolutely does not want a single person in hell. There is there is a poem. Um, I don't think C.S. Lewis wrote it, but I think he refers to it. Call because he refers to being chased by the hound of heaven. Because uh-huh. um, he he started out life as an atheist, and gradually he came to know Jesus and realized that Jesus was God and that God was real. And of course. He wrote many great works of Christian apologetics mm-hmm. after that. So um, uh, C.S. Lewis definitely attests to that. Oh, yes. All right. So we will dig into that more as we uh, go on through this series. And then, I am a son of God. Wherefore, of, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Colossians three twenty four through 27. So um, the law is a schoolmaster. So basically the law was instituted to show the children of Israel that they couldn't follow it. Yep. Basically to show them we need God. So then when Jesus came, um, he didn't, he didn't destroy the law. The law was still good. The law still mattered. He fulfilled and actu- it. And actually Paul said, I would not have known the law. Ex- you know, I, I would have not have known sin except through the law. You mm-hmm. know, the way that we know that sin is sin is because we understand the laws of God. And even, our founders, when they were writing our founding documents, they said they wanted, they knew that our, our democratic republic had to be subject to the laws of nature and of nature's God because yep. they're, they're irrefutable. They're not something that you can uh, debate if you want a successful society. A lot of and, people try anyways. They do. But the, the thing is, the thing that people don't realize is that the way that society is successful is that you use responsibility. So you use freedom, you use liberty 
like even Paul said, don't use liberty to serve the flesh or to serve yourself, but by love, serve one another. So mm-hmm. liberty is not the excuse to do everything I want, but it is the opportunity to do the things that I know are right. Yep. And in a lot of ways, having the freedom to choose and choosing to do what is right is far more meaningful than being forced to do that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, no, I don't want to get too political. I try not to get too political on the show, but, but I often say that, that one of the differences between uh, conservative-leaning people and liberal-leaning people is the liberal-leaning person will say, this is a good idea, let's mandate that everybody does it. <laughs> Whereas the conservative-leaning person is, this is a great idea, I'm going to encourage you to do it because it's a good idea, but I don't think it should be made into a law. Yeah, and you have so too many excessive laws think, anyways. I think those are two different um, ways of accomplishing the same thing. And like you said, when it's motivated by a law, it's not as effective as when it's motivated by a desire. Well, heck, um, the uh, – was it? I guess it was the late 1800s when there's a big, huge revival uh, from the one of the earlier revivals. There was several towns – there were several towns that had to disband their police force because they had nothing to do. No police because the police had nothing to do. I should should study that because I think I've heard something similar to that, but I haven't really studied that out for myself. But it makes some some semblance of of sense because if you're all looking out, that's why Jesus said these are the two most important laws. Because you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you do those two things, all ten commandments are covered. Oh yeah. And so you don't you have to have worry about all the individual, <laughs> you know, all the individual commands because you're focused on those two main objectives and yep. it, focus on that won't let you do the other things. So that's, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. It's, it's great. All right, and finally, I may approach God with boldness. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Romans eight fourteen through 15. You know, it was really surreal. There's a lot of moving parts of... The Passion of the Christ. Yeah. I don't know. Have you seen that film, Dan? Oh, I saw it in theaters. Okay. I saw it. That's one of the few things in theaters that I saw more than once while it was still in theaters because it was that good. But one of the things that struck me, because it's in Aramaic, is you hear Jesus in the garden crying out to Abba. Mm-hmm. And then you, and then you read this verse and you realize that the relationship that he had with his father is the relationship that he wanted us to have with the father. And that's why he did what he did. Yep. And it's, it's very surreal and mind blowing when you actually sit back and consider that the God of the universe calls me son calls or calls you daughter yeah, or calls you daughter. It's it, but it's just, it's just, it's very um, humbling to realize that. This is my child who wants to, t- who wants a piece of me. <laughs> yeah. Which is essentially what he says. We've talked about earlier how he protects us from 
the accusations of the devil, and he protects us from the accusations of others as well. Uh, so. uh, what was the verse? Uh, for so long as he stands with us, who can stand against us? Oh, absolutely. Or one of my favorite songs, uh, in Christ alone, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever take me from his hand. Oh, absolutely. I, I love I, the song just for that, that line. And I've said, um, and I also like the line that says the wrath of God was satisfied. Yeah. And it's just such a powerful and rich song. I, growing up, I often lamented that there wasn't more modern day hymn writers, like, just the modern songs didn't have the same feel as the hymns. Yep. But like the Gettys, the Gettys, I would consider them modern day hymn writers. They really do well with writing hymn style music that they want to share with people and congregations. And I really do appreciate it. And like you said, um, nothing can take us from God's hand. So that's so good because I've said before on this podcast, if I could lose my salvation, I would because I lose a lot of things, but he has me in his hand and I'm not going to disappear or be lost from it. Yeah. And, and and a lot of things, a lot of people tend to forget too. It's a gift. You don't do anything for it. You can't refuse it because God says, here, this is here. This is yours. I've given it to you. Too bad for you if you don't want it, <laughs> you know? Well, and, and that's the thing. It is a gift. So it's not like he's an Indian giver, like he's going to take it away from you again. He no. wouldn't do that. Can't See, lose it. You in can't our have modern it taken away. thing, we think, well, we owe somebody else something because they gave us a gift, but that's not really a gift. No. Now, does that mean that in certain senses we don't owe him something? No, in certain senses we owe him everything, but even everything we could do is not enough to repay what he gave us. So no. that's literally um, impossible. <laughs> but he did buy us, and so we've been pressed into service by him because he purchased us. Oh yeah, and so well, he that, says. He says we are the most priceless thing he's ever bought. You know. Oh, absolutely. So each uh, and every one. There's of us. a lot of good stuff here, and like I said, we'll dig in deeper in individual podcasts. Um, I might even challenge Dan to put one of these together just to see oh, what dear. what insights he comes up with. Um, We're in we'll, trouble we'll, now. We'll, we'll see if that works. Out. We'll see how that works, or if if I continue to put them together by myself and bring them to Dan or however it works, it's going to be a great discussion. And incidentally, if anybody ever wants to come in and discuss any of this stuff with us, we'd be more than welcome to more than willing to welcome you. We like to have more people involved in the discussion. So just keep in mind that this series is coming and we'll learn more about our identity in Christ as the weeks go on. So that's all I have for today, but I hope that you will have a great weekend and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.